thankful for God's goodness in this place this morning. Thankful for His mercy. You woke up today with a whole new slate of it. Fresh dose of mercy every morning is what the Word says. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I was excited today when I walked in and saw this advertisement for our WYC, the Wired Youth Conference. Uh, it was the first time I saw it today when I came in. So excited. That's coming up June 29th through July the 1st. A lot of wonderful things happening here at Victory. Next Sunday is our Memorial Day weekend Sunday. One service only. Everybody say one service. So we're at 10 a.m. next Sunday. and I'm excited. I'm going to bring a message to conclude this series on higher power. We're in number six this morning today as we jump into it. Sort of coming around the bend, headed for the home stretch. And uh, just really excited at all the Lord's doing. They poured the slab this week. It is curing. And uh, the, the metal and the steel is actually en route. will be delivered next Thursday to the job site. And they should start erecting it either Thursday or Friday, 24th, 25th, something like that. And so we're actually about two weeks ahead of schedule from what they thought they were going to be doing. So we're excited about that. You'll start to see the building come up out of the ground now and just the beginning of some dreams that we've been waiting on for a long time. Somebody said in the first service before, they said, man, we've been waiting. I said, waiting is my middle name, Michael Waiting Smith. <laughs> so as long as we're waiting on the Lord, we're going to be all right. Somebody say amen. amen. He will always fulfill what he said he would do. He's a God of his word, a God of promise. No word of God is void of power. The Bible says in Luke 137, so we're thankful today for His promises. They can be depended upon. They can be relied upon. The title of the message this morning is called Other Gifts, Questions, and Principles. And Before I jump into that, I just want to say today to any of our guests, if it's your first time, we welcome you today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We are thrilled and honored to have you and hope you'll come back and be with us again. What I mentioned about next Sunday... Uh, is our yearly Memorial Day cookout. We're going to eat burgers and some, a lot of fun stuff. Just hang out together. We'll have one service starting at 10, so we'll be out there probably by 11.15 or so and uh, be able to fellowship, have a good time under the tents, and uh, I think some activities for the children as well. So I hope you'll bring a friend and enjoy a burger with us uh, next Sunday after the service. Amen? All right. Other gifts, questions, and principles. We did... The Fruit of the Spirit in a series called Higher Love. This one is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly concentrating on the nine. The nine listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Three knowing, three speaking, three doing. Thought, word, deed. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but He has promised that He will speak to us and teach us and give us the tongue of the learned so that we may know how to speak a word in season to Him that is weary. That is the how and the what, the when and the why. And the who. And so God is very aware of the people that are in your network. He wants to empower you and equip you and authorize you, deputize you to be an encourager and a builder for the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, as we look this morning, the text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through about 10. A little lengthy text to begin with, but I just want to show you from this passage that there are multiple places that we find the concept of spiritual gifts in the Bible. It's not just the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, which sometimes has been dubbed the Pentecostal chapter. But I want you to recognize that, uh, and when we say Pentecostal, it is not necessarily depicting denomination. It has to do with today. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is 50 days, penta meaning 5 or 50. Pentecost Sunday is the beginning of the second feast the three big seasons during the year on the Hebrew calendar are Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And technically, the, the first one has three feasts in it, and then the Pentecost by itself is one, just solely, and then you have Tabernacles, which is also three feasts. So you have three seasons, but there are actually seven feasts in those three times. And this season is 50 days after Passover, so as Christians... We take the foundation of Jewish history and the prophetic principle. God delivered the children of Israel in Egypt by the blood. They came out, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, which is water and spirit. Okay, We see those three elements of the blood over the doorpost, coming through the Red Sea, baptism in water, and the cloud of God that was over them and hovered over them. They breathed it in. They're baptized in the spirit. So blood, water, and spirit are the three elements that delivered 
Israel from Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, carried them into the promised land. As New Testament believers, it's the same three, except we see a fulfillment of those. It's the blood of Jesus shed for us. It is the water of baptism where we identify in His death, burial, and resurrection, raised to newness of life. And then finally, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, where we are baptized in the Spirit. And so we have been talking in this series about the greater one who's, who is on the inside of us, one of the names of the Holy Spirit. First John 4.4 4 says, You've overcome the evil one, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Everybody say, The greater one is in me. We've learned that when we are saved, that the Holy Spirit becomes the resident. He lives inside of us. And the whole point of this series is to challenge you to let the resident become the president. Let the living one become the leading one. Let the residing one become the presiding one. Let him begin to rule and lead your life so that you don't just live Monday through Saturday as a practical atheist and just sort of take God out of the box on Sunday morning and go, God, you're good, you'll never let me down, but then march into another week where we just don't even think about consulting the, res the resident one on the inside of us to help us to make the decisions that are critical, to help us know how to speak with wisdom and knowledge and understanding into circumstances that, that natural reasoning won't speak to. So we look today, you're going to see from 1 Corinthians 1, you're going to read in Romans 12, we're going to look in Ephesians 4, we're going to see several places where Gifts are actually all over the New Testament. So this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read, just silently read along with me on the screens. The Bible says in the New Living Translation, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He says, I always thank my God for you and for the, say it, gracious gifts He has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 5, through Him God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent, say it, words and all of your Knowledge, that covers two of the categories of knowing, speaking, doing. Words, speech, speaking gifts, knowledge, special gifts of knowledge. And so we see that he's telling them as, as he opens up, he is writing to correct some abuses. The problem in the Corinthian church isn't the gifts of the Spirit, but it's childish, prideful people who are abusing those gifts of the Holy Spirit, who are using them for fleshly demonstration and using them for the wrong reasons. So the gift is not the problem, but it's the unsanctified, prideful, childish user, the immaturity of that church and how they were doing it. So don't hear this, that the gifts were the problem, because the gifts weren't the problem. It's how the people were abusing them was the problem. Look, you guys have great words and knowledge. He says, verse 6, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Verse 7, now you have, say it, Every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for, say it, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I contend, let me stop here, I contend from this passage that the Apostle Paul believed that gifts were for us and would continue until the time of Christ's return. And I'm going to substantiate that idea from two other locations of Scripture this morning. Okay, because in American Christianity especially, we have two opposing views, that of cessationism, which is a kind of a hundred dollar theological word for the verb cease, to cease. We'll get to that passage in a moment where we ask the question. Somebody might say, but doesn't the Bible say the gifts will cease? The answer is yes. The question is when, okay? So cessationism is the expanded noun for the idea of gifts that cease. Say cease. Say cessationism. Okay. Now, I am in the camp on the other side of the spectrum that I don't believe they've ceased, but I believe in what would be called continuationism. Very simply, continue. They continue. And he says, you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I contend that we need these operations, working of the Holy Spirit, until we see Jesus face to face. That's my, my contention. That's what I'm delivering to you this morning. You have every right to not necessarily agree with that, and that's fine. We won't break fellowship over the distinction between those two things. Nobody denies that there was a period in history where these things were prevalent. The disagreement comes with whether or not they are still for us, continuing for us 
today. Okay. So as we look to verse 8, he says, He will keep you strong to the end. Here it is. So you've got the gifts, everything you need till the return. And he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son Jesus Christ our Lord. King James says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God's fellowship is a partnership. We're on team with him. We're to be about the business of identifying the purpose of God and getting in and joining Him where He's moving and working. Verse 10, and I'm finished with the text. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in what? To live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Wouldn't it be great if the church for the last 2,000 years paid attention to that last verse? We have fragmented and divided into, uh, and, and I'm not singling one denomination out, but I just want to say this for the purpose of my illustration. There are over 200 varieties of Baptists alone. Over 200 different Baptist denominations. That's just one group. And we have fragmented into all of these groups. And I believe that the hand of the Lord either is presently on or has been on every one of those various diverse denominational persuasions of the family of God and the body of Christ because we appreciate the larger body. There is one body but many members. The Old Testament gives us the picture of one holy nation but multiple tribes and all the tribes didn't do everything the same way. They all worshiped the same God, they came to the same feasts but there were distinctions between the tribes. As you read through Chronicles and the book of Psalms you'll see that there were strengths that one tribe had over another. Ephraim, the Bible says, were skilled with the bow. There are others, the tribe of Issachar, 1 Chronicles 12 says, these are men who knew what Israel ought to do. They were, they were men who were prophetically understanding. They understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. And there is a distinction between tribes, between streams. The Bible says in Psalm 46, there is a river, singular, whose streams, plural, make glad the city of God. Okay, so I want you to see this morning is that we are a stream. The problem happens when we start to think that our stream is the river and everybody else is just a mud hole. We start to think that we're it, that we're the only ones going to heaven. Nobody else but our tribe will be there. And that's foolishness. It's nonsense. There are, there are God-bought, blood-bought, spirit-filled believers in every one of these groups and camps how many of you know out of every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue, God is calling a people to Himself? Somebody say amen. amen. One thing I want you to see this morning, and you know we, I could multiply that. One in the many is all over the word. There's one body, many members. There's one vine, many branches. One river, many streams. On and on and on. It's just all over the word, this concept of the unity of the one and the diversity of the many. And so we appreciate that. Um, as we, we get our, one, our spiritual one thing, and then I want to pray this morning. Let's get our one thing. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. Spiritual gifts are given as power tools to bear witness to the resurrected Christ, to strengthen and equip the body to advance the kingdom of God. So let me just stop and explain. God has given every one of us a spiritual gift so that the working of the Holy Spirit in our life can be a living testimony to the resurrected Christ, that He is alive. We witness to the world that Christ is alive and He's alive in us. He has transformed us. We're not what we used to be. We're not yet what we're going to be. But thank God we're not what we used to be. Somebody say amen. So he began a good work and he's going to finish it until the end, until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we bear witness and those gifts are given to the body to strengthen and equip the body so that the body might advance the kingdom of God. Read it out loud with me one more time. Here we go. Spiritual gifts are given as power tools to bear witness to the resurrected Christ, to strengthen and equip the body to advance the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you today. Be our teacher. Be our guide. Challenge us. Comfort us. Encourage us. Correct us. Adjust us. Transform us. Save someone that you're drawing in this service today, God, I pray. 
Father, we just thank you for the unspeakable gift that you've given to us in Jesus. He, he lived a perfect life and he died sinless and took upon himself the sins of the world. Thank you for Jesus. We celebrate him. We keep him front and center in all of this. Holy Spirit, today, be our ears, be our teacher, be in my thoughts and my words, be in the hearts of your people to receive and hear and understand and comprehend. We'll be so careful to give you the praise. And God, I just want to stop this morning and pray right now for the city of Santa Fe, Texas. I ask you, O oh Lord, for the brokenness, the hurt, the grief. Lord, just another time our nation has been rattled by this foolishness of gun violence. Lord, crazy people. God, send protection. Be our shield and our shelter. Pour out revival, Lord. Let us get upon our face and cry out to you and turn our hearts as a nation back to God. We pray in Jesus' name. God, I just pray locally for our friends at Marion First Baptist as they hold their tent revival today beginning right there on their property and that, that lovely white and yellow tent sitting out on the property this morning as I drove by. I ask you, Lord, that souls would be saved, that you bless the ministry of Marion First Bless their new pastor, O oh God. Let them arise in leadership and that a team come together. And Lord, let them thrust in the sickle and reap the part of the delta that you've called them to. Bless the hands. Bless and prosper what they put their hand to, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. you believe that? Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Our one thing, spiritual gifts are given as power tools to bear witness to the resurrected Christ and to strengthen and equip the body to advance the kingdom of God. We've looked at passages of scripture concerning spiritual gifts. We know the nine, knowing, speaking, doing, three in each category. And so today my question is, are there other gifts besides the nine power gifts? The answer to that is obviously yes. We're going to look this morning to a category that we've not mentioned, but I want to briefly just lay it out there for you that we call the motivational gifts. And there is a simple outline in front of you in your notes, in the little bulletin that you received this morning, when you came in, higher power looks like this. And there are three M's there. Motivational gifts, ministry gifts, and manifestation gifts. The manifestation gifts are the ones that are centered in 1 Corinthians 9, the three knowing, the three speaking, the three doing. We've preached the last three weeks on those as a category each week. So we're not going to be going back to that. You've already seen that. I just wanted you to see how they fit into this overall picture of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Motivational gifts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. There are different kinds of gifts. The Bible says, but the same Spirit. Okay. Now, when we talk about motivational gifts, it will direct us to Romans chapter 12. These are gifts that I believe that God put in you when you were born Naturally, when you're born into the world as a human being, suck the first breath into your body. I believe that there is a gifting in you as a human being. You are an image bearer. You are marked with the mark of God, the image of God. The Imago Dei is in you. There is a creative element to every one of us. Some in different kinds of ways more than others. Others in different kinds of ways more than the rest of us. And so as an image bearer, even though sin has broken and marred that image... There is this presence of personality, natural ability, creativity, a proclivity toward the mechanical or toward the visual arts or toward the musical arts or toward organization or building or people skills, social ability. There's all different kinds of intelligences. We're learning that now late in the... 20th century and the opening of the 21st century that it's not just what you're able to visually see and read and comprehend and, and orally hear somebody speak, but there are other kinds of intelligences that we have not really yet learned how to uh, be able to evaluate and how to estimate the depth of them. All different kinds of intelligences that we can lean into when we can let the Holy Spirit show us what our natural abilities are. Because every one of you in this room are gifted in some unique kind of way. These are called motivational gifts. Romans 12 says it's this way in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me. Another translation says because of the grace God has given me. 
I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. It is wrong in the local church when we look to someone who is talented or gifted in a particular area and we want to operate in that same gift when our gift is different than theirs. Look what he says. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is the same analogy he uses in 1 Corinthians 12. One body, many parts, many members with different functions. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear. The feet can't say to the hands, I don't need you. Every part of your physical body functioning in its proper order and system, function, every joint supplying, Ephesians chapter 4 says, when the body is doing that, it is nourishing itself and building itself up. You are strengthened. You are equipped to do and accomplish things. In the very same way that it happens in the physical body, it happens in the spiritual, first the natural, then the spiritual. And Paul relates this to us several locations. Here it appears in Romans 12. He says, In His grace God has given us, say it, different gifts for doing certain things well. There are some of you that are gifted in this room that are organizational. And you can pull together um, an office that is cluttered. And you can make sure that everything has a place and everything is in its place. And it just starts to run and move smoothly. And there are, there are some of us that are more creative. And the last thing we need to do is be an office manager. Because everything is just strewn all over the place. And you, you can find it. You know where it is. But man, it sure does look like a mess. And if those of you that are creative, I'm in your tribe. I, 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 I'm a creative person. I create musically and, 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 and make things grow and lay things out in my yard in terms of landscaping and how I want it to work and operate. And I can see it. I can visualize it. And sometimes it's in a mess before it arrives at what I want to finally bring it to. Some are really gifted at serving. Now, somebody might say, well, you know, my gift is not serving, so I'm not going to serve. How many of you know God has called every one of us as Christ followers to be servants? But there's some that are just very, very gifted at, at doing it. But that doesn't negate the demand that every one of us ought to serve one another. Somebody say amen. Okay. So I want you to see this. He says that we've been given every one of us different gifts for doing certain things well. Nobody in the room does everything well. There's only one man in history that is spoken of him that he does all things well. And that's Jesus in Mark chapter 10. The Bible says he does all things well. All right. And so we this morning need each other because you have a peace that I don't have. I have something that she doesn't have and she has something he doesn't have. And even in a family you see different kinds of talents emerged when you have several children and moms and dads that are different and unique themselves. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out as with as much faith as God has given you. A prophetic personality is someone who has the, the, the ability to see beneath the surface. They can discern things. They can see what's wrong and needs to be adjusted and can arrive at solutions. But sometimes... Prophetic personalities, the flip side of the coin is because they see things that sometimes other people don't see, if that thing is not sanctified and kept with a right heart before the Lord, prophetic people can become very critical. I need people that are prophetic in this church, but the last thing I need is somebody who only wants to identify the problem and won't jump in and get your hands dirty and help me fix the problem. Don't shout me down this morning because I'm preaching so good. We need... Folk who can see the problem but will also jump in and help us produce the solution. Somebody say amen. Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If, you. if your gift is serving others, then serve them well. So whatever it is, do it with all of your heart, all of your might. Whatever you put your hand to, do it with all of your might, Ecclesiastes says. If you're a teacher, then teach well. Pastor Haley has an ability to articulate truths and bring them in a simple fashion. Profound truths, but bring them in a simple way. That gift is on her life. I recognize that. My job as the lead pastor is to look out in the congregation and help discern 
the natural abilities and the spiritual giftings that are in each and every individual and help get you plugged into some place where you can do something you love and you won't burn out. Because when you start doing what you've been gifted to do, your passion for it comes alive. And you can do that with one hand tied behind your back and halfway asleep and you won't ever burn out. Because the yoke fits your neck. It's something you were born to do. Your passion comes alive and you get excited about it. He says if your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. Nothing worse than somebody says, you know what, God's called me to be encouraged. Be encourager. But then they're never encouraged themselves. Go around looking like they've been sucking on a persimmon and they got baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> Living on prune juice. Who knows? I don't know what I, you know, that'll do some stuff to you. Uh, and it won't make you too happy. But if you're an encourager, then my God, be encouraged and encourage some other people. Let me see it on your face. Let me see a joy in your face. Somebody say amen. amen. If it's giving, then give generously. You know, now let me just say this. Somebody might say, well, that's not my gift. How many of you know every one of us are called to be givers? We're called to be generous. We're called to be stewards over what God has entrusted to us. Every, everyone in the room ought to be generous with God has, what God has entrusted to you. But there are people that are specially gifted to be able to give way extravagantly above and beyond. Jerome and Linda Alford are a couple like that in our congregation. Jerome worked for years restoring a 1965 Pontiac GTO. And he decided one day, I think maybe after Linda said, I'm tired of this being in the garage, let's do something with this. He says, I think I'm going to give it to the church. And so the church took it, we received it, and we gave folks an opportunity to win the car for a $20 donation. And that car that he restored over a period of about 10 years... Uh, ended up bringing in $70,000 toward our payment off of our $330,000 30-acre land plot out there. And, and Jerome and Linda are very, very generous givers. And, and I, 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 I talked about another, another couple in the first service because I'm trying to talk about people that are not sitting here. I don't want to embarrass them. But, uh, but I want you to see that, that there are unique gifts. Everybody in the room knows that Brenna Vest is an encourager. Brenna's teaching right now. She's not in here with us, so I don't want to embarrass her. But uh, how, many of you know, how many know Brenna's an encourager? You can just get around Brenna and you'll feel better in a few minutes because she's going to have a little self-deprecating humor about herself and, and she's just going to laugh and you're going to feel good and you're going to be encouraged when you leave Brenna's presence. So it's obvious Brenna has a gift of encouragement. Come on, somebody. So these are motivational gifts. They're part of your personality. They're part of how God has made you and who you are. Leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Another translation says the gift of mercy. Now, it's interesting that prophecy was listed first. That's kind of the identifier, the problem identifier. And then mercy's on the other end because they're literally at different ends of the spectrum. And we need both in the church. Mercy gifts are those people that don't get caught up in the brokenness of hurting people and they're able to wrap their arms around all the dysfunction and the junk and all the mess and all the jacked upness in somebody's life and just say, look, the Lord loves you and I love you and I'm here to help you and I'm going to pour love into what's hurting in your life. But folk with mercy gift, the flip side of that is they can be greatly taken advantage of because they're so kind and they're so merciful. And there are folk that will get in a regular line to come take advantage of your mercy gift if they find out that you're a generous person and you'll give mercy and you'll give them to their, to their area of need. And the last thing you need when somebody has gotten in line a dozen times to your mercy gift is for you to do that mercy gift one more time. We need to bring the person in with the prophetic gift and say, look, we're not going to give any more money to this until you're willing to sit down and let us show you how you can not stay in this financial situation. It's not the will of God you keep hocking your credit cards up to the limit. Sister Mercy over here has given you $50 and $100 and $250 and over and over helping you pay your bills and you just keep going right back out there racking your cards up. We need Brother Prophetic Gift to come in and say, let me sit down with you and show you how you can get out of this pattern of behavior. Are y'all hearing me this morning? We need all these gifts. We need every one of them actively working 
We need the prophecy person to have a little bit of mercy working in his or her life. And we need the mercy person to have a little bit of the prophetic gift hanging on the side and working with them so that we're not just foolish or we're not hard or we're not legalistic or we're not pharisaical. Can I have an amen this morning? Are you getting anything out of this? All right, look at the ministry gifts. These are diversities of administration. This is about leadership. These that we've talked about, the three knowing, the three speaking, the three doing, these seven motivational gifts, all of these are for everyone. The ministry gifts that I'm about to read to you about are given to a specific few. Everybody's not an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist in the larger ministry, office ministry sense, or a pastor or a teacher. Now, you may have prophecy working in your life, but that doesn't mean you're a prophet. There's a distinction between the gift and between the office. Okay, You may have mercy and pastoral gifts on your life, but that doesn't mean that you're a lead pastor in a local church. Are you following me? Okay. Now, this is a little extensive in the passage, but I want to get the context, and it's worth taking our time to read. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Give place to the reading of God's Word. So today we're going to get a little bit of extensive passage. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. If you believe that, say amen. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. If you believe that, say amen. Three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body. Read this part out loud with me, the next three verses. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, keep reading, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Stop right there. Now, he's set this out and says, look, We are united. We are together. We are one. It's one for all and all for one. And the one is Jesus. He says, verse 7, However, in the midst of all this beautiful unity, however, He has given each one of us a what? Say it. A special gift through the generosity of Christ. Just like no two fingerprints are the same, no two snowflakes are the same. There's a uniqueness to you as the creation of God. In your DNA, in your chromosomes, there's a uniqueness to you. The the King James says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In that statement, grace and the measure and the gift of Christ, we have the Greek word charis for grace, K-A-R-I-S, Those are the English transliteration letters of the Greek letters. Kappa, Alpha, Rho, Iota, Sigma. Those those letters, okay, spell what we see the word charis. And then the measure or the metron literally is the word mata. It's a shortened version. And that's where we get charismatic, charismata, grace, gifts, grace, apportionments, grace, pieces, pieces of grace, charismata. We are charismatic. We are charismatic because we believe in the grace gifts that God has given to us, these special gifts that are unique to you, some that you were born with, some that come when the Holy Spirit comes to reside on the inside of you, and they get activated when you let the residing one become the presiding one. Now, they can lie dormant. They can be there your whole life, and you never know you might get a, get a notion or an inkling or an urge or a nudge or a, an impression or a gut feeling. We have all these natural ways of describing sometimes so many things that are the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's, he's leading us. He's, he's sending us in the right direction and we are not paying attention. He's speaking but we're not listening. Somebody say amen. That is why the scriptures say when He ascended to the heights... He led a crowd of captives and He gave gifts to His people. Now that it says He ascended, this clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. Verse 10, And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that He might fill the entire universe with Himself. The bread of God that came down from heaven, Jesus Christ, 
ascended so that He might send another Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and that great loaf, the bread of God, Jesus Himself divided Himself into five loaves and He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. That's called the five-fold ministry. Look at verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Say it with me. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now look at this. Here is their job description right here. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. Now a lot of folk think that they hire the pastor and he does the work and you watch and just give your money and you participate on a committee and you, you show up regularly at church and you serve somewhere in some capacity, but the pastor does the work. And that is an American idea, not a biblical idea. The biblical idea should be related like this. Guys, I'm not the team. You are the team. In the football game of life, I'm the coach that helps you discern what your best gift is and get you plugged into the right position on the team so you can move out onto the field Monday through Saturday and you can score a touchdown for the kingdom of God. When you're in your right place, not just in the team on Sunday morning at the local church down here in the bricks and mortar church, but when you march into the world to be the living church of Jesus Christ, to be the representation of Christ in the world, your natural abilities, your motivational gifts, your spiritual gifts, that, that presiding factor in the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you can become, become, become a means that will gift you and empower you and equip you to be successful in your business, in your family, in your relationships. If you will stop and learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. My whole reason for doing seven weeks on this series is just to challenge you to stop being a practical atheist. Coming to church on Sunday morning and, and getting involved and, and raising your hands and clapping your hands and singing, Oh, what a mighty God we serve and how great and good our God is. And then going out on Monday and forgetting all of that and sort of compartmentalizing our lives where the sacred is on Sunday and the secular is Monday through Saturday. And we don't mix the two. Instead of seeing that in God's mind, in His kingdom, everything is holy, everything is sacred. And then I can hear if I'll stop and pay attention and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who will give me wisdom in how to make my next critical decision. He will lead me and guide me. and He will give me faith to trust Him when my life is broken and when my body is sick and I need healing. Come on, somebody. Y'all are not giving me near enough good amens this morning. I'm preaching way better. Well, you're, I got you over here. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What did we say spiritual gifts were for? To witness to the resurrected Christ, to equip God's people, to build up the body so that we could advance the kingdom of God. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Here we have the five listed. Put the list up there. Here we go. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some say that none of those are for today. They've all died out. And they don't even call their pastor of the church the pastor. They refer to him as the minister. And so they say none of this is for today. The five-fold ministry was for a very specific little parenthesis of time first hundred years of the church and all that's gone no more power, no more gifts, everything has ceased and there are some that say that you know what we have the last three working they recognize evangelists and they recognize pastors and they call the pastor a pastor and they recognize spiritual teachers they say we have the last three but the first two are gone and may I just say to you this morning with all due respect to whatever your particular denominational persuasion or background is, there is nowhere in the Bible where you can substantiate either one of those ideas. It doesn't say it anywhere. The apostles and prophets are dead, but the evangelists, pastors, and teachers are still for today. It doesn't say it anywhere. I've read it 50 times through, more. Never read anything that says anything like that. Certainly nothing ever said that all of these were gone and not for today at all. As a matter of fact, let's just let the Word say what it says. Go back to the last verse in 13. And I want you to see, read out loud with me. This will continue 
What's the next word? I submit to you that that word right there that I have italicized is the most important word in that whole verse. Until is a time word. What does until mean? In other words, there is a stipulation on this until what has said following this, this will continue. You know, your parent might have said to you, you know, yeah, you know, look, I want to get you this car, but until you learn how to, and then fill in the blank, I'm not going to get you that car until I will. So until puts a stipulation on it. It puts a requirement. These will continue. This is the, the substantiation for why I'm a continuationist. I am not a cessationist. I contend that Paul fully expected the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be a part of the Christian experience until the return of the Lord. And He will keep you blameless until the end. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Okay, you want to tell me that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers have all died out and they're no longer for today? Then that means that they have continued until. That means that everything until now has been fulfilled. That means the body of Christ is in such unity and knowledge of God's Son that the whole body is mature and everybody in the whole worldwide body of Christ measures up to the full and the complete standard of Christ. Has that been met? Absolutely not. We still need to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. We still need to be edified and built up and to be strengthened. We still need to recognize our giftings, our natural abilities and the spiritual gifts that God has given us. We need apostles that can govern. We need prophets that can declare the word of the Lord. Put up the the hand illustration for me. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are called the five-fold ministry. And they're, they're, they're referred to in the Bible as the hand of the Lord. My body is made up of multitudes of members, cells, systems, different functions, organs, skin and nerves and circulatory and respiratory and endocrine, and, and, and digestive, and on and on and on, all of these different kinds of systems, and skeletal, and the bones have to fit together, and it all has to work. But the unique thing about my hand is that it has the ability to minister to my whole body, and nothing else can minister to the rest of my body like my hands can. And, and let's don't think for a second that they are so much more important than the rest of the body because when you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you wrap your little toe around the end post of that bed <laughs> and you're doing everything to not say a four-letter word that you don't need to say and you're trying to make it a five-letter word and you're trying to go, Jesus, 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 help me. Come on, I've been there. And everything in your whole body reaches to take care of that little, what you think is the most unimportant member on your body. That little pinky toe on the end of your foot that you don't even think has an important function. And that little toe is notifying the rest of your body, you better wake up and pay attention to me, fool. You better watch where you're taking me. And my hand... I don't reach over with my other foot and see if the toe's broke. I don't try to go down with my elbow on it. First of all, that's an utter impossibility. <laughs> Namaste. I take my hand and I reach to see if... I, I, I think I have to lay down and bring my leg up this way. Reach to see. <laughs> have to reach to see if that thing is broke. Because my hand has the unique ability to be able to touch the whole body. That's what the fivefold ministry does. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. Look at this. We as humans have this innate gift that God has given to us called the pincer movement. I have the ability now, because of a thumb, an opposing thumb, to pick up something with a purpose and most of the time not spill it. Hallelujah. I just ministered to my whole body. Glory to God. And my hand did it. Are you following me? So the hand of the Lord can minister strength and encouragement and adjustment. God forbid, don't offend anybody, but sometimes a little bit of correction. I'll leave that alone. 
But the apostle is the unique thumb finger because it ha- it's the only finger that can touch the other fingers. So the apostle has governmental authority. The apostle in a group of fivefold will carry the final word, just like James did in Acts 15 when he arose as the apostle, as the leader in Jerusalem, and he declared the word of the Lord in in an argument they were having. He said, this is what we're going to do. And they said, we hear the word of the Lord. He was the apostle. He was the governing one. There were prophets there. There were evangelists there. There were pastors. There were teachers there. But the apostle had the word. Apostles advanced the kingdom by planting churches and, and, and building things building things for the kingdom of God. Prophets point and say, Thus saith the Lord. They have, they have the ability to be able to look right down into a heart and, and read your mail and ring your doorbell and not even know it's you, but speaking to a whole room and you just go, Man, the Holy Ghost was talking. When you were opening your lips, I felt like you were reading my mail. That's just what the Spirit of the Lord does. The prophet, somebody says, I'm interested in see how he's going to illustrate this next finger. <laughs> this middle one. It's the longest one. And so the evangelist goes into all the world. He reaches the farthest to preach the gospel, to disciple nations. The next one is the pastoral finger. This is where you put the symbol of covenantal love. You wear the wedding ring right here because the pastor is married to the bride of Christ. He's not a hireling. He's a shepherd who loves the bride and he will stay with her. He will cry when she cries. He will rejoice when she rejoices. He'll not get up and leave. He'll he'll chase away all of the wolves. And he will love the sheep. Come on, somebody. That's what the pastor does. And finally, the little one, the little pinky's the finger. He's the only one little enough to get in your spiritual ears and dig out the waxy traditions of men so you can hear the Word of God. Because traditions make the Word of God of no effect. And we've got to get rid of that stuff. Do you see how the hand of the Lord works? We need that. We need that. It is still continuing until the body comes to maturity to the unity of the faith. Now, I have one last question, and I hope you're getting something out of this. We'll skip over manifestation gifts because we've taken three weeks to talk about knowing, speaking, doing. We want to jump down to the final question. But doesn't the Bible say the gifts will cease? Yes, it does. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. This is where this is an obscure passage that cessationists bank everything on to tell you that none of this is for today. By the way, that doesn't hold up historically because there is no period in church history, in revival history, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit haven't been recorded. I have the historical record. It's there over every century. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in some, through some group, through some movement. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are recorded right there through 2,000 years of church history. They've never ceased. Even though the cessationists, well, now they'll turn it around and they say, well, that's all the devil. That's the devil doing that. Bah, nonsense. Look at this. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. King James says, we'll cease. This is where we get the word cessation. Okay? It will cease. So yes, it says it will cease. But love will last forever. And this is what I've been teaching you from the beginning. There will come a time where we will no longer need the in part, partial pieces of God's infinite knowledge. He is infinite, I am finite. He has thoughts that are higher than mine. I have no way to ever touch that infinite side of God's omniscience. He he gives me glimpses through these spiritual gifts and I can pick up on something that I otherwise wouldn't have known unless He showed it to me. Okay? But there'll come a time when I won't need that. There'll come a time when the, the fruit of the Spirit certainly will still be in existence. Love, joy, peace... Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these fruit of the Spirit, they're eternal. They're lasting forever because they're the nature of God. But these little pieces of the power of God that have been given to me at, at some point in history will be swallowed up in the fullness. I no longer need special knowledge because I will know even as I am fully known is what the Bible says. Look at this. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Everybody say partial. That means in part. It's just a piece of. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part. Everybody say part. Part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. The King James says, when that which is perfect is come. Okay. 
He says, when I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then, everybody say then, that when is then, the time of perfection, when that which is perfect has come, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then, everybody say then, when is then, it's the time of perfection, but then... I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So put up the question for me. Question, and I'm I'm wrapping this up. Y'all ready? Come on, we're about to land this plane. What is the perfect that Paul said was coming? Now cessationists will tell you that it is the final complete canon of the King James Bible printed in 1611. And I love the Word of God. I believe that it is infallible. I believe that it's perfect. I believe that it is sufficient. I believe that it is authoritative. I believe that we should put it first place and it should have final authority. But I can't take this book and walk into a hospital and lay it on a sick person and that person get healed. I can't use it like a lucky rabbit's foot or a talisman of some kind. But when I take this Bible and I let the spirit of the words that are written in this Bible begin to fill my heart and faith begins to grow because I want you to know something. And this is where my evangelical friends need to get a revelation. I don't have a revelation. I don't have a relationship with a book. I have a relationship with a person that this book is about. Are you following me? And I don't talk to this book. I talk to the person who wrote this book. I read this book and this book comes off the page and it ignites and it illuminates and revelation comes and it excites me and it it brings faith and faith arises in my heart because the Bible says that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But there is no way that having a finished 1611 copy of the King James answers those questions. My second question is, does the completed Bible really answer these stipulations for the gifts to cease? Go back and let's answer the question. Let's look. Give me verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in the mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Now that you have a copy of this, do you see everything with perfect clarity? I don't. I love it. I can go to it and it'll bring clarity. But just having this finished and printed in a completed canon, even when I start to see things clearly, I don't see it with perfect clarity because there's still mystery. There's still uncertainty. Give me the next verse. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely. Are you telling me that because you've got a copy of King James that you know everything completely now? Absolutely not. I love the Word of God. I honor the Word of God. I'm just not going to practice what is called bibliolatry. Figure that one out. Where we take the Bible and we make an idol out of it instead of worshiping the God who wrote it. Are you hearing me? It's scary sometimes. when It's, it's like one of my friends said one time that among some churches they have... Literally, not, not, they have not literally done this, but it's in a kind of way that's just sort of understood under the surface. They no longer see the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They see Father, Son, and Holy Bible. No, more, no working or the moving of the Holy Spirit. No, no, we don't want any of that around here. That's just too unpredictable. We can't control it. Exactly. That's what we want. We, we want the residing one to become the presiding one. My whole reason for stirring you up for seven weeks in this is to just get you to believe that Sunday morning is not the only time that you say, all things are possible if I believe. But you walk out of here and Monday morning when you've got a critical decision to make, you remember, wait a minute, all things are possible to them that believe. God, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, show me the way I'm supposed to go. Give me grace and understanding so I can make the right decision that will honor you and glorify you. Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying in this place? 
Yes, the Bible is sufficient, but there's not a chapter and a verse that you can turn to that tells you, don't sign that contract with that company, sign with this one. That's where you have to actually start trusting the Spirit of God on the inside of you to lead you into doing that. Are you following me this morning? Yes, there is objective truth, but yes, there is a subjective relationship where I experience Him and I have a God who talks to me. Even if Joy Behar on The View wants to make fun of our Vice President Mike Pence who is truly a born-again, spirit-filled man of God who prays. And even if Joy in her religious, and I'm sorry, irreligious, sacrilegious blasphemy wants to make fun and say he's crazy because God speaks to him. I'll just join with him any day and I'll pray for my Vice President and say God speak to him and let him get in the ear of the man who's in the Oval Office in the name of Jesus. Anybody up in here hear what I'm saying this morning? Am I preaching in the right church this morning? I'm thankful for the Word. And I've read it over 50 times all the way through. But I can't say that just because I have a copy of it that I now know everything. I certainly can't say that I know even as I am known. Because God knows things about me I don't even know about myself. Are y'all hearing me this morning? What if, last question and I'm finished. What if the perfect that Paul was talking about It's not a completed canon of Scripture, but it's actually the perfect, complete, finished, grown-up maturity of the body of Christ and the return of Jesus. What if it is the time of perfection is the completion of all of God's redemptive purposes where we stand in a new heaven and a new earth and everything that's partial and old and sin has been dealt with and judgment has come And we live in a new heaven and earth. The Bible says wherein dwelleth righteousness. And the time of perfection, completion has come. That's when you don't need in part spiritual gifts anymore. Because you're dwelling in a place, in a world, in a new heaven and a new earth. Where you you know now as you've fully been known. I believe that Paul believed that the spiritual gifts he told the Corinthian church they had were to carry them until the time... Of the re- now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we are as a church. That's how we stand. This is how we substantiate this idea. I, I don't want weirdness. I don't want flesh. I don't want just somebody arrogantly or childishly, immaturely, just trying to abuse spiritual gifts. But until we recognize that we can actually operate in them, we're not going to have anything. Until we recognize that we can just say, Lord, lead me, and you begin to just de-Christianize, you take all the churchy language out of it, and you just learn how to be an encourager into somebody else's life. And you learn how to show mercy. You learn how to prophetically help somebody. You learn how to believe God for mountains to be moved in your neighbor's life. You just... Trust God. You know, what if, what if, what if you stepped into your week this next week instead of living life compartmentalized where Monday through Saturday is secular and Sunday morning is sacred? What if we started living like every day was holy to the Lord? And we just stop and we listen and we say, don't get weird. Don't stop in the middle of the aisle at the office and start praying and speaking in tongues or something weird like that. Go to your car if you have to. Don't get funky or weird in front of people. Go, go, to the, go to the printer room and close the door. and Just, Holy Spirit, give me grace to speak to this situation at my job. Those of you that run the businesses, ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance on how you can help that person. They're really broken and hurting or they wouldn't be acting a fool like that. What if, what if we started thinking like that? What if, what if we actually dared God to do what He said He would do? Because he's, he's the God who said, there ain't no problem you've got that's too hard for me. I'm the God of all flesh. I can fix anything you've got. What if we just actually said, God, I ask you, if Pastor Michael is not crazy, if this stuff is really legit, if this is something that I can learn how to walk in, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that whatever you have for me, that you would just open my heart and show me what my gift is, that you would help me to step into faith and to walking out my destiny and the dream you've put in my heart. God, I just ask you, if this is real, that you would just show up in my life. And I promise you, if you do that, He will not only show up, He will show out. He will blow your mind. 
Because He's a God who's waiting to be pursued. He's a God who wants you to chase Him. Come on, He chased you down and got you saved. Now He wants a little bit of pursuit. He wants you to hunger for Him, to thirst for Him, to press into Him. And I promise you, He'll show up. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Come on, give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Come on, team. Musicians, come on back. I want to pray this morning. I just want to tell you, if you're sitting here this morning in this service and you've never asked Jesus,